guest speaker, all the way from Nanaimo, Stephen Phillips, presently at Harbor Community, which is a network of missional communities in Nanaimo. As church planter, he is responsible for discipling believers into a missional lifestyle, coaching new expressions of the church, counseling, administering, and carrying the banner for the broader community. Stephen has special, many special, oh man, <laughs> Stephen has many specialties which he brings to the table, like leadership, community building, collaboration, training, and employee development, social media, and management skills. He has his Bachelor of Arts in Ministry with a focus in youth ministry and his Master of Divinity from Trinity Western University. In addition to that, he is a husband, a father of two small children, and a pillar of the community. Please welcome Stephen to Ocean, Commu Ocean View Community Church today. We are so pleased to have him here. I don't know. I don't know who wrote that. Sheesh. I don't. I don't deserve. Am I on? I'm on here. I think I'm on here. Can you hear me? Barely. Nobody ever says that to me. I can barely hear Stephen. Thank you for that compliment. You know, it's funny. You hear something that I don't deserve most of that, to be honest with you, but uh, I am blessed in the fact that the Lord leads me day by day. And if I had to carry one banner, it would be a disciple, that we get to learn and follow after Jesus. Now, that leads us in some interesting places. Uh, I never expected to be in the position that I'm in today, and I'll share a little bit more with you as we kind of go through that. But first, uh, let me introduce you to my family, uh, who are much better looking than I am. Uh, my wife in the middle is Nicole. She's at home with the kids today. And on the right is Zelda. Uh, she's 23 months old and a little ball of fury already. Uh, she came out of her mom screaming, and she just never stopped. Uh, and we love her to death. So, baby, if you're, if you're watching from home, hi. I love you. And uh, the little guy that I'm holding there, his name is Lincoln, and uh, he is 12 weeks old at this point in time. We were expecting him at the end of June, and uh, he just decided to show up like four weeks early. But uh, he came out and was doing just fantastic. We were expecting to spend some time in the NICU and all of those pieces that comes with an early baby, but they got sent home early. So uh, it's our bundles of joy and lack of sleep right now, all of the above. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. Now, the labor of love is not just in my kids, but it's also in Harbor community and kind of working through that. Now, Harbor is never a place that I would have expected to be. Uh, I'm 38 years old. I've spent 38 years in church. Uh, I have a funny little joke in that my father was a pastor when I was born. He had to hand his notes off to the elder because I was being born. So I took my dad out of church right from the get-go. But, you know, I, I've spent my entire life in churches just like this. I love these kinds of communities. And in the midst of the pandemic and all of those realities, as I got talking to some of my friends and peers and pieces like that, I started to realize more and more that there's a lot of people that are hurting, that are looking for something different, which is not saying that this is bad. This is wonderful. But people are looking for different expressions as well, too. And so out of that has come Harbor, and just in the very early genesis of looking at what church can be in a very different way, of looking at microchurches. Now, you might look at that and go, what's a microchurch? Do we just take this and shrink it down to 
itsy little bitty pieces. In reality, it's disciples making disciples in their living rooms, in their backyards, on the soccer field, wherever they happen to be. And we're going to figure out what that looks like together uh, as a community as we move forward and look at being missional wherever we happen to be. When I talk to those who are on that journey with me, I say, we're in this together. You have your own networks. And so it's not so much about come and see what we're doing, but go and be Jesus. As he transforms you, you have an opportunity to be that light towards other people. And that leads us to scripture this morning, which is in Matthew 28. Probably a passage, if you've spent any time in scripture at all, that you're quite familiar with. We're going to look at it again this morning, if you'll be so gracious with me. You don't really have a choice, let's be honest. So if you want to open your Bibles, we're going to turn to Matthew 28, and we're going to read verses 16 through 20. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. I don't know what translation you have. That's fine. I love that we actually get to see different pieces out of whatever translation you happen to have. I'll read it out of the New Living Translation this morning. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Would you pray with me, and we'll jump in. God, we come before your word today. Would you peel away any scales, any preconceptions that we have when we come to Scripture? And Lord, would you speak to us fresh and new? Lord, I want to hear your voice. I want to speak your words. And Lord, I want to be transformed by them, that I would not just read or hear them, but that I would obey them. Lord, I want to be a better disciple, a better follower, a better participant in your kingdom. Would you do that in my heart this morning? Lord, may the meditations of my heart and my mind and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. Amen. Does anything stand out to you from those four verses? I walked through this with some of Harbor last weekend, and when we walk through, we ask ourselves some simple questions. What stands out from this piece of passage, from this passage to you? What stands out? What does this say, tell us about God? What does this tell us about humanity? What are we going to do about it? And who else needs to hear this? Five simple questions to read the Bible together. Let's work through this passage kind of section by section, and we can do that. Matthew is a little bit different than some of the other Gospels, right? We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of the Gospels have their own take on the Jesus story. They're coherent, but they're all telling a little bit of a different aspect. It's interesting in Matthew that we end up with the disciples. We have Jesus resurrected, the women going to tell them, and then the first time that the disciples see Jesus in Matthew is on the mountain when he's about to ascend. It's obviously different than some of the other Gospels where Jesus appears to them in those pieces. Matthew is telling a story in the midst of this. 
and it's coherent with the other ones. But these disciples, they come to the mountain, and what do they do? They worship, and they doubt. Think about that for a moment. Maybe you're like me. Maybe you've sat there and you went, boy, I wish I could see Jesus. You know, whether in a vision, like we hear happening around the world, or maybe Jesus actually just appears before me physically. Like, I, if there's one disciple that I can really get along with, it's Thomas. You know? Like, we, we give him a bad rap, but there's a piece of me that goes, I want to see those wounds. I want to touch them. Like, are you the same guy that, you know, hung on that cross? And Thomas had that opportunity. But here we are, these disciples, these 11 men who have walked along with Jesus for the past three years, come before him. They've heard, some of them were present when he was crucified. He died. And now he's standing before them. And some of them are worshiping because they see their Lord and their Savior. And some of them are still going, for real? Think about that. And just allow that to sink in. It's okay to ask questions. God's shoulders are big enough for your doubts. You don't have to have everything figured out. These 11 men have Jesus physically in front of them. And some of them are still asking questions in that moment. Wow. And out of these 11 men, God is going to plant the church. They're in this spot. They're walking along. They're still asking these questions. And Jesus is looking at them and going, I got some stuff for you. I got plans for you. And I think it's significant, too, that when we zoom forward in their lives, almost all of them died for their faith. So they went from doubt to a deeper form of faith. And I think their questions are part of what hollowed out that faith. To get to a point where they're willing to die for Jesus, that they're willing to die for what God is doing. To move from that. Now Jesus looks at these disciples as they're worshiping him, as they're asking these questions, and he says something very significant. We just participated in communion to remember the cross. Right? The cross that's behind me is empty. In Protestant circles, we leave it empty because Jesus isn't on there. He is physically in heaven before the Father, advocating on your behalf. He's offering prayers. He's standing in that peace so that we can be covered in that blood. What did the cross accomplish? What does it mean to have Jesus as your Lord? Right? We talk about that. Jesus is your Savior. Jesus is your Lord. You need to give your life over to him. I don't know about you. I struggle with that every day because I perpetually find new things that I need to give over. You know, I'm in the process of planting a community. I never wanted to be a church planner. This has been a, this has been a journey with God of like, I don't want to do this. And he's like, but will you be obedient as you follow me? Right? I got two kids at home. My wife is on mat leave. And we're going like, how are we going to pay the bills? I don't know. But I know that Jesus provides. That's a promise that he's made. Why would you worry about tomorrow? I provide for the sparrow. Look at the flowers of the field. Do they want for anything? So Stephen, why do I want for things? Why do you do this? 
I have to give that over to him as my Lord and my Savior. You have your own things, whether that's sin in your life, whether that's people that you need to speak with, whether that's your own struggles of giving that over to him. That's what him being Lord of your life looks like. Yes, Lord, you first, not me. It's super hard. Jesus looks at these disciples and he says, all authority has been given to me, not just here on earth, not just in heaven, all of it. The entire universe that you know and anything that you don't know is now mine. I can speak a word and it must be obeyed. That's what's been won on the cross. You see, this cosmic battle that we see played out through the story of Scripture talks about how sin and corruption entered into the world, how we are enslaved to that. But now we don't have to be anymore. Death, disease, sin, it's all been conquered. There is no spiritual force that can stand against Jesus. He's paid for it. He's earned it. And now it's his. He's seated, he's seated on the throne. I mean, if you go back through the Gospels, if you've ever read through them, and I would encourage you to, we see these moments, these supernatural experiences where Jesus encounters demons and other powers and principalities, and they recognize his authority. And now Jesus is going, all of it's mine. There's no contest whatsoever. Think about that from a lordship perspective, because that is what the therefore in this passage hinges on. Jesus isn't going, hey, I'm back. I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to ask for some things. So therefore, I want you to do some stuff. Jesus is going, it's all mine. It's all been accomplished. Everything that you could possibly imagine, any fear that you have, any piece of hesitation that you might have, I control it. I hold that authority. Therefore, go and make disciples, not just of your Jewish brothers and sisters. Don't just stay in Jerusalem. Don't just call people here. I want you to go and make disciples of everyone, everywhere, every nation. Go. I've had the privilege in my life of traveling. I've been, you know, I spent some time in Fiji as a missionary for two months back in about 2000, oh, when was that? 2007. I realized I wasn't a missionary. <laughs> Let's put it that way. But my heart has always been for Canada. For three years, between 2014 and 2017, I was working with an organization that partnered with local indigenous leaders around the world. I was able to go to Bangladesh, to India, to Calcutta, onto the Shunderban Islands, which are south of Calcutta, major spot of like human trafficking, and places where literally the team that I was with, we were the first Caucasian people that these individuals had ever seen outside of a TV. It was wild, like it's a surreal experience in its own way. And at that point, it's like, oh, I'm the attraction. I'm the attraction just because of my skin color. I had the privilege of being in Moldova, which is right beside Ukraine, 
poorest country in Europe. 50,000 people go missing from Moldova every year. And to walk alongside my brothers and sisters in these countries who are reaching out in their own unique ways. You know, in India, it looks like children's clubs. It looks like churches planted. In Bangladesh, it was couples moving into never-before-reached villages with the support of Westerners to drill wells to offer free water, to establish churches, and within two to five years, seeing like hundreds of people come to know the Lord from Muslim and Hindu backgrounds. In Moldova, a country that has no societal support whatsoever, you know, when we were outside of the capital, the teenagers that we were talking to go, my hope is in moving to the capital. There'll be a future for me there. When we're in the high schools in the capital, they're going, how do I get to your country? I want out. There's no future for me here. We had a moment with one of the social workers in one of those rural villages, and one of my team members innocently asked them, so, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? This man in his, like, mid-early 20s, and he's a social worker. He's running a youth group. He's in some of the high schools doing incredibly important work of providing a safe space for teenagers, employment, providing them a future. And I had this moment because this man looked at my team member with no judgment whatsoever, no condemnation, no offense. And he looked at me and there was just genuine confusion on his face. He goes, I'm doing exactly what I'm called to do. My country needs me. No one else is going to help us. We don't have a social safety net. The government doesn't care. The church is the only one who cares. Therefore, go and make disciples. I've seen it played out. I'm trying to live that out and learning and growing every single day. In those conversations where I'm sitting with someone going, mm, do I offer prayer? Yes. Do I talk about my faith with Jesus? Yes. But what happens if? What if they look at me funny? What if they never talk to me again? What if? And those fears begin to play back, and we go back to the authority piece. Who's Lord over your life? Ooh, that's tough. So Jesus then says to the disciples, therefore go, make disciples of all the nations. And I want to just ask you this question. What's a disciple? Have you thought about that really? Like we use that terminology, but it can be really Christianese until we get down into those pieces. It's a language that's totally foreign to other people. Think back to Jesus' first calling of Peter and his brother. They're sitting on a shore. They've been fishing. Jesus comes up, and what does he ask them to do? Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Being a disciple is really that simple. We can make it really complex, and there's a lot of layers beneath that, but it starts with the journey. Come and follow me. Leave behind what you've got. I'll teach you a new way of life. If I'm going to be honest here in North America, I think sometimes we try and straddle that line. Jesus calls us to come and follow him, and we go, yeah, Jesus, that's really great. I, I want to do that. That's wonderful. But how much of my old life can I keep? 
Like, how, how much of my old life do I get to keep in this? You're not going to ask me to sell my house. You're not going to ask me to talk to my neighbors. You're not going to ask me to, like, have people over and, like, share the gospel with them. And we straddle that line as much as possible. Maybe you don't. That's wonderful. But I think it's a time for reflection. When Jesus says, come and follow me, are we going, yeah, but. And I I struggle with that because in Scripture, we see many times people come to Jesus, the rich young ruler. How do I get into heaven? It's a very pragmatic, very simple perspective that he has. And he comes to Jesus with that question. He's empty. He's looking. How do I get to heaven? And Jesus looks at him and goes, great, so you followed all the commandments. Mm, has he? That's, a, that's up for debate. He goes, Here's what I want you to do. You're a rich man. You have lots of things. Is Yahweh really first in your life? Because if he is, go and sell all your stuff. Give it away to the poor. And then you'll gain the eternal life that you're looking for. And the man walks away sad. I can't do that. Now, if you go back to the Ten Commandments that he says that he follows, the first one, have no other God before me. Money, God. It is a spiritual force. We struggle with it. He's struggling with it. And Jesus gets right to the root of it. Nope. Clearly, you're not following all the Ten Commandments, but this is what it would look like for you. Now, I'm not suggesting to you, unless God calls you in obedience, that you need to go sell all your stuff. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is God calls you into obedience. Will you follow? That could be any number of things. You know, in, in Harbor, we always ask that question, so what are we going to do this week? And that can be as simple as saying, I actually need to pray for my neighbors this week. If that's what God's calling you into obedience for, I also tell them that if God's calling you to move to Calcutta, that may be your step of obedience this week. God help you. But it might be. That's what it means to be a disciple. When people enter into that process of going, I will follow, we baptize them. Why do we baptize people? Right? This is a Fellowship Baptist Church. I'm a part of the Fellowship Baptist. We believe in baptism. Why? Because it is a symbol of the inward reality. When we are willing to follow Jesus, we're saying, I will die to anything and everything that came before. Right? Jesus is appearing to his disciples after being in the grave for three days. He was on the cross. He died on the cross, a criminal's death. He was buried, and he rose on the third day. When someone is baptized, they are saying, I want to do that too. That is my old life that I'm leaving behind. It is dead, and now I am a new creation in Jesus. My entire hope, my entire life is in him. Everything. And it's washed away in the water. Now, is that a physical reality? No. It's an inward reality. I had a teenager once when I was a youth pastor whose mom wanted her to be baptized. It's great. It's wonderful. She didn't want to share her testimony. She was afraid of public speaking. I get it. 
I looked at her mom and I said, I'm confused. So what is she being baptized into if she's not willing to share her faith? I get that that's a hurdle. 100%. Speaking in front of people, terrifying. What if I say the wrong thing? But if I'm unwilling to share in front of family, is that really obedience? That was my question. She did share her testimony. She was baptized. We baptize people into that peace because they follow. It doesn't have to be a long process. It's not a rite of passage. I think of the Ethiopian eunuch who wanted to be baptized. He's reading scripture. Disciple sits down beside him, opens that up with him, and he goes, this is true. I need to follow it. Hey, look, there's a body of water. Let's do it right now. Done. Finished. I think sometimes also in church, we end the process there. We treat, maybe, as evangelicals, baptism as if it was confirmation. Great. We've sealed them in. They're done. We're finished. But Jesus doesn't stop at baptism here, does he? He carries on. So we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And now the real work begins. Teach them to obey. Oh, I got a 23-month-old at home. I get this now. Like, she is wonderful, truly, joy in life. But she knows when she's doing something she's not supposed to. And it is my job as a father to call her into obedience. Gently, lovingly, walking alongside her with patience. Most of the time, I'm not perfect. But to call her into obedience. In the same way, we are called into obedience with Jesus. That's not for me to tell you, hey, this is what your life needs to look like. I've got a 12-step program of obedience that you need to follow. Ideally, it's me saying to you, let's listen for the Holy Spirit together, right? We're not alone here. You are not abandoned. We're not speaking to a God who's far away. The Spirit is present in this room and in your homes this morning. And you can hear His voice. And He will speak to you. And he will ask you to do things. And he will point out things that need to change. And then you have a choice. I have a choice. Do I follow? Will I be obedient? I'm not always obedient. I'm thankful for the grace of Christ. I'm thankful that he continues to work in my heart to call me farther into obedience. We need to teach these new disciples to obey the commandments that God has given me. If I had to break down those commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. There's more to it. There's nuances. There's lots of those pieces, but Jesus himself breaks down the entire Torah, the entire law, into that. Get that right. And you're on the right path. Jesus doesn't leave us in that peace to say, all right, here's what you're going to do. Go out into the world, go tell people, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. I'll come back. We'll check in on your progress. No. Jesus looks and goes, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
I want to tell you a story this morning. The last time that I was in Calcutta, my wife and I had an opportunity. We were working with an organization that does church planning all around West Bengal, but they also work with trafficked girls from 7 to 18 years old. They've got multiple homes. They bring them into, they offer them care. They work with IGM, who does incredible work to bring these girls out of the brothels. And our partner there looked at me and said, Stephen, I can't bring your whole team, but if you and your wife wanted to come right into the Sanagachi Red Light District, I'll take you. Now, if you don't know the Sanagachi Red Light District, and I wouldn't expect you to, it is the largest red light district in Southeast Asia. It's like five city blocks, five, six-story buildings of just brothels. I said, yeah, I think, I think we'll go. And so we went out for dinner, sat there, got into a cab, and we pulled up on a, on a street, and all of a sudden the car was swarmed with men. And they looked in the window, and they saw my wife, and they went, oh, something's different here. And we got out. There was a worker, both from this organization and one of the women who lived in the brothel area and was reaching out, was waiting for us. And they read us the ground rules. Don't fall away. You can look, no cameras. That will get you in trouble physically. It will not go well for you. All right, stay close, let's go. And so they began to walk. And we walked through a giant crowd of men waiting for customers, and then we turned left to walk down this alleyway. Calcutta is a dirty place. There's a lot of uh, stray dogs. There's a smell, although we were generally there in, the, in their winter, so it wasn't too bad. I've never in my life felt spiritual oppression like this. It was like I was 100 feet underwater, just pushing in. And I felt it come in around me and then stop. And I was like, oh, that is the palpable presence. I can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, that I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I will fear no evil. That though women are catcalling, though men are catcalling my wife, though there's fires in the middle and stray dogs and children running past us and stores that are open, and in some hand it feels just like any other alleyway in Calcutta, and on the other hand it completely is not, I will fear no evil. We walked probably 200 meters down this street, and then we turned down a darker alleyway, which I would never go down. Um, and all this time, people are looking at us like white people don't belong here. You don't belong here. Turn down this alleyway, cross the threshold into this home, and again, you want to feel the spirit of the Lord? All of a sudden, there's zero oppression. We literally crossed the physical threshold into this house, and it's like, oh, I can breathe. My wife and I stood in front of about 30 kids that day who were going home to sleep underneath the beds while their mom worked. What do you tell them? I have no frame of reference to offer anything to these children. The atrocities that they've heard and seen, I can't even begin to imagine. I don't want to. We talked about David and Goliath, about a God who's present no matter what. As we left, I didn't realize what my wife and the head of this organization stood behind to just talk a little bit because right behind this building was six stories of the largest Nepalese brothel there, and they were just talking about it. So I'm walking 
with this female worker who lives there all by myself, and I don't realize this until I'm about a third of the way out, but it's different because now there's not a white woman behind me. I'm just a man walking out. And I go, this is what evil looks like. You have nothing to fear in your life because Jesus is with you. And I want that to really sink in when you think about the obstacles in your life, big or small. You have nothing to fear. Your job, your security, your pension, some of those things that we worry about in our Western world, nothing to fear. When we are obedient to Jesus, he is with us to the end of the age. We're in Ladysmith this morning. I'm from Nanaimo. Do you think that those spiritual realities that I felt presently in Calcutta are not equally as present here? They are. And in the West, I think the biggest lie that Satan can tell us, twofold. One, do all of those things. Just do them tomorrow. You know, today's pretty full. Do it tomorrow. There's no urgency. And the second piece is spiritual forces. Mm. Are you sure? I'm not even sure if I'm real. You might just be making this all up in your head. Think about that for a little while longer, and then maybe we can talk. And so we get lulled into the sense of security. And we, we don't have the urgency that's required to act. And so when someone is hurting and in pain in front of us, we go, oh, I know someone who can help you. When in reality, they're in front of me right now. How do I help you? It might not be a lot, but I'll help. You think of the Good Samaritan. He was going someplace. He had business that he needed to do. But he stopped. I will help you. He bandaged the man. He carried them on to the next stop. He said, I will pay for whatever is available to us. Do you catch him what I'm laying down? I struggle with this personally, so don't hear me speaking from any kind of a platform, although I'm physically on a platform. I'm working this through myself. Because it's a radical transformation of how I look at my faith and my life. Therefore, go. Don't stay. Go. There are people in your lives right now who need you to pray for their blessing, who need you to pray for their deliverance, who need you to be the hands and feet of Jesus, who need you to take a step and go, I just want you to know, I believe in a God who can heal. Can I pray for you? And that's all it has to be. I'm not asking you to hand out pamphlets. I'm not asking you to stand on a box. I'm not asking you to read the Ten Commandments. In fact, that's probably not going to be helpful. I'm just asking for you to say, I believe in God. Can I pray for you? And let's see what He's going to do. Because He's present, and I believe He has all the authority.
that step out of the boat is so hard that Jesus is 10 feet away and he's saying, come. You want to walk on water like this? We'll walk on water. But take that step out of the boat. If we want to see this region transformed for Jesus, I can't do it. You can't do it. And that's the beauty of it. Jesus is doing it, wants to do it, and wants and to some degree needs us to come alongside, to be those hands and feet. And what the Spirit is waiting for is obedience. A people who are truly and completely sold out for Jesus to say, yes, I'm not just going to use Lord and Savior as something that rolls off my tongue. I'm not going to use it in vain. Let it sink deeper. And then do it. I don't know what it is in your life. We're going to pray. I'm going to give some time in that for you to just be still. And if you're bold, and if you have the courage to say, Spirit, what do I need to do from this? I want to be changed when I leave this sanctuary, when I turn off the live stream. What do I need to do? But be careful when you ask that question because you will be accountable for that. I don't say that with a sense of judgment. I myself am accountable to the things that God calls me because I'm opening myself up and saying, I'm not putting cotton in my ears anymore. I want to hear your voice. I want to go. I want to do. Let's pray together. Dad, I am both so intimidated and so encouraged by your grace that you would come while I was your enemy, that you would sacrifice your life on a cross and think of us in our brokenness as we look for you. Lord, we look at our culture today and we don't have to look far for brokenness in relationships, in society, in finances, in our perspective. And Lord, it's easy to get hopeless. But you are a God of hope. Lord, in our lives, there are people and situations and places that you are in the process of transforming. You are already at work. And so, Lord... Open my eyes to what you are doing. Lord, where would you have me come alongside you? God, I hear that. I know those people. Help me to be obedient, that you would open the doors to have those conversations. Call me to my knees that I would pray and hold them before you. Lord, thank you that you are over all, that you have the authority. And so God, send us that we would go and make disciples, 
that we would see baptisms of people committing their lives to you. Give us the wisdom to teach them to obey you and all your commandments, that we would see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I want that. Transform us. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you.